Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. And today we are going to challenge the issue of how you can become a customer relationship specialist in a digital world. The face of customer service is changing. This is how you stay on top and treat your customers as they should be treated. And with me today, helping me on this topic, is someone who is a thought leader on the transformation of customer relationships and the future of marketing, a real expert in the field. So welcome to the show, Stephen Van Bellicum. Hey, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, sir. And this is such a curious topic. Customer relationships are vital. But in this world of change, this world of transformation, I'm really curious to dig into how we can keep up and how we can stay on top of that. But before we do, let's just tell the listeners a little bit about you, Stephen. What do you do and where do you come from? Well, in the, in the last 15 years, I've been focusing on, on doing research about consumer behavior and how consumers relate to digital and how, they, how the customer relationship is actually changing due to technology and digital. And I started doing that in a business school in Belgium. After that, I uh, joined a startup, uh, which is called Insights Consulting, which is a market research company that was really into digital and online. And during the last years of my, of my career at Insights, uh, while I was one of the partners in the company, I, I wrote my first book, which is called The Conversation Manager. And it's about um, how communication, marketing communication is changing thanks to social media. And then I wrote my second book, which is called The Conversation Company. And, and because of that, I, I, you know, I, I started to be part of the lecture circuit. So I got invited a lot to give speeches in different countries. So I traveled a lot. I got asked for more consultancy and advisory work. And, you know, the, the work that I was doing at, at Insights, the market research company was totally different than the core business of the company. So three years ago, I decided to leave the company and, and don't be a partner anymore and start my own inspiration firm. And that's what I'm doing now. Uh, most of my time, I'm giving lectures about this. Um, I'm helping out a few companies. And I also organize trips to Silicon Valley with European entrepreneurs to discover the latest trends in customer centricity with leading companies over there. And um, I'm also involved in a tech startup, which is called Embracelet, where we create or created an, an uh, wearable device for senior citizens to make them feel safe when they fall or when they feel un, uh, not feeling well or, uh, or, or when they feel like they're in danger. We created the wearable to help them. So that's what I do most of my time, giving lectures, inspiring people, giving workshops and involved in a number of startups at this time. Wow, a busy guy then. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff to do, Mark. Yeah, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? I love that yeah, idea exactly. of, uh, of keeping it fun. And actually, I just want to pick up on, on a, a phrase that you mentioned inside that statement there, which was customer centricity. You mentioned that a lot of customer, sorry, a lot of companies out there in Silicon Valley are focusing on this customer centricity. And in this world of tech startups and this this kind of really fast-paced world that we live in, which is sort of bookended by technology and digital, mm. what what is this focus on customer centricity? Why is Silicon Valley putting so much of a focus on it? Well, uh, well I think that the increase of technology has, has made it possible for companies to deliver um, a more high-level customer service than we used to have. 
And then in my opinion, it, it's not about digital. I think digital first actually means customer first without compromise because of transparency of information, because of social media, because of, of the use of data. We've experienced a higher service level from a number of companies in the last few years. And because of that, we expect that higher level of customer service from more traditional companies as well. And, you know, if you look, for instance, to, to what, what, what Amazon started with years ago, it was if something happens, if some if they make a mistake, they never argue with you as a customer. They just help you. The, the customer is always right. We we are not used to that in let's say the analog world that the customer is always right. But Amazon wanted to gain our trust, so they never go into a debate. If you look to a company like Tesla, you know in their in their latest version that they launched late last year, they installed the autopilot function. So every Tesla that you now buy is actually a self-driving car. Um, and I thought that's a really cool feature and probably the early adopters of Tesla, which are technology lovers, they will buy a new Tesla to get all these new features. Um, but then I read an article in which Elon Musk said, okay, I'm going to upgrade all the existing Teslas with this autopilot function. And then you think, okay, uh, they invent something really cool, but they think it's so cool that they actually give it for free to their existing clients. And I was wondering how the board members of BMW, Mercedes and Audi were thinking uh, about that because you know I don't drive a Tesla and if I want something new in my car, uh, the only solution or the only way to get something new in my car is to buy an entirely new car. And then you realize, okay, my car is, is four wheels with some technology in it, but Tesla is an iPad with four wheels around it. And that company just things in a different way about customer relationship, they almost see the car like software and you can get a software update. But in fact, you're giving your coolest feature away for free to your existing clientele. And I think that's, that's just one of the examples on what customer first without compromise really means. And a lot of those tech startups are really into building those customer relationship to the highest level we've known. And because of that, they, they think more long-term than most companies that, that I know over here in Europe. It's such a good example. Tesla's such a fantastic example. And I, I completely agree that there's this this dividing expectations between, well, I, I like the phrase, the analog world and the digital world. And mm -hmm. I think we've all experienced it at some point, whether it's, uh, yeah, I can speak from my own experience with, with kind of local taxi or taxi cab companies. And, you know, they don't deal with things how you would expect the Amazon of the world or the apples of the world to deal with. And I know it's a world apart, but I've never th actually thought about this, but as you said it, mm -hmm. I did expect the same level of customer service from the bricks and mortar taxi company as I did from the apples and the Amazon, exactly. you know, which yeah. is an amazing yeah. thing because I'd never analyzed that before. And is that a trend that is genuinely growing then? Is it something that everyone, no matter the size, no matter the industry, needs to become more mindful of. Absolutely. I think the, the most stupid thing that companies do these days is doing within sector benchmark. Like imagine that you're in the financial industry or in the air travel industry and you're just benchmarking yourself with, with competitors. I think that's a too narrow looking view. I recently did a workshop with, with a big airline in, uh, in Europe and there was someone who said, who knows uh, passenger Richard? And we had a group of 100 people sitting there, all uh, top people from the, that airline, and no one knew Passenger Richard. And apparently passenger, passenger Richard flew 166 times a year with that airline. He was the most frequently traveling uh, passenger that they had. 
And I was thinking, I hope for that man that he doesn't fly with another airline just for his sake and, and his life quality. And probably he doesn't. So he never, ever benchmarks that airline with another one because he doesn't fly with another airline. He just benchmarks that airline with his Apple computer, with his iPhone, with Google, with his Nike shoes, and with all other brands that he loves. So I think one of the challenges is, is not to say, okay, within our sector, we're still best in class, because in many cases, you're just comparing yourself with a bunch of average companies. I think the challenge is to, to look beyond your industry and to check out what the best examples in the world are and let them be your benchmark. It's like, you know, when, when you do a customer satisfaction research study and, and the average across com companies is 7.3. So most companies have 7.3 on a customer satisfaction scale. And then they have a brainstorm about how to improve that. And most of the time, the brainstorm is about how to get the 7.3 to 7.8, right? How, what can we do to just increase it a little bit incrementally? And I always recommend them, if that is your objective, just don't bother. Don't bother at all. Just, just keep on doing what you're doing. Don't spend money, time, and energy on creating a 7.8 if you today have a 7.3, because no one will even ever manage uh, or see the difference. The question is, how can you get from a 7.3 to a 9.5? If you have that brainstorm, you will have a totally different perspective and you will have totally different outcomes. And if you succeed, every single one of your clients will feel the difference. And I think that's the, the challenge to create impact among your clients that they do feel the difference. Great example. Great example. And that, that brings to mind the very obvious example of Uber, you know, the taxi yeah. company, you know, they, they, they have got a very strict rating system and, you know, they don't settle for average drivers. You know, and I think that's a, a really interesting model. And it brings me to my next question, actually, which is, Okay, if, if customer centricity is a, is a real focus for people and giving people the best possible experience, how well how does that affect? I guess the human side of things, the way mm -hmm. that we as people deal with that. So, the example that I'm thinking of is you sat there, you perhaps working as the owner manager of a small business, or you are working in a customer service department for a slightly larger business, and you're having a bad day. What does that look like from a company culture perspective? How do we help people mm -hmm. in our staff say, look, if you're having a bad day, regardless, this is how you deal with our customers. What does it do for our culture? And how can we, how can we pick up the human side of things? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very good point, Mark. And uh, I'm glad you, you asked this because the title of my last book is when digital becomes human. And it's about asking yourself what the role of humans will be in a world where Theoretically, everything in the customer relationship can be automated. I think we're close to that point. Do we still need humans when we can automate everything? Is, a, I think, a very relevant question for every organization. And in my opinion, um, the, the one thing that will decrease in, in frequency is the human contact between a company and its clients. And because of the decrease in frequency, I think the human content, uh, contact will increase in value. And that's based on the old law of scarcity, the economic law of scarcity. When something becomes scarce, it increases in value, right? And uh, the one thing that does become scarce in the customer relationship of the future is human contact. And, and because of that, it becomes more valuable. And I've been looking into what, what can be the really differentiating points from humans in a customer relationship. And I think the, the obvious thing to do is make sure that you're good in things that computers are not prominent or not good in yet. And I found three things that, that can make a difference. It's empathy, empathic thinking, empathic communication. It's passion, 
You never meet a passionate computer and it's creativity. You never meet a creative computer. And it sounds so easy, empathy, passion, creativity, but the, the real question for company leaders is, do we motivate people to be good in human skills or do we hold people back to, to be good at them? And how serious are we about those human skills? And the funny thing is how more digital the world becomes, the more valuable these human skills become because they become more rare and more seldom or more scarce. And uh, of course, everyone can have a bad day, but the, 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 the real challenge is to make sure that customers don't notice that. And I know that's hard. And I, th I know everyone can have a bad day. But, you know, towards the customer, it's, it's the, the, the expectation level is, is quite high. And I think we can be authentic. I think we can be very human. But no one likes authentic unfriendliness, you know. It, it's not because you have a bad day that you're allowed to be unfriendly towards customers. Uh, it's okay to have a bad day and to be open about that, but still be friendly towards customers. And the problem is that we have today a lot of smart people who are trying to program emotion and that are trying to program empathy so in a few years from now we're going to have this world where you have programmed empathy and i think programmed empathy will be very human-like and i think it will be very good and i think virtual assistants will sometimes be better than than humans and that we will all prefer programmed empathy above real unfriendliness you know and and if we want to score with the human side of we will have to be excellent in those human skills because if we're just average computers will beat us to it and uh, it, it, again it sounds easy empathy passion creativity but it does make a difference and if you're really really into it and if you really invest in that as a person and as a company it will be your key differentiator in the next few years because you know i, I believe that in every industry at a certain point uh, technology and digital will become some sort of a commodity I think uh, if you look to the financial industry right now, they're, they're in the middle of the transformational storm, the digital transformational storm. So every financial company that I know is investing hundreds of millions into their digital transform transformation, which is great, which is crucial for them to survive. But I think five years from now, a lot of them will be frustrated because they will have invested a, a bunch of money and they will realize, okay, all the others have almost done the exact same thing. So it's not a differentiator, it's just like a hygiene factor. If we wouldn't have done it, we would be in trouble. But now that we have done it, it doesn't differentiate us. And at that point, when digital becomes the commodity in your industry, I think at that point, the human interface becomes the key differentiator again. And companies that realize that today, well, those are the companies that invest in, those, in both tracks, both in the digital one and in the human one. And I really believe in the human factor as, as a differentiator, but only if you're serious about it and only if you take it to the very, very high level. And I think that's something that a lot of companies underestimate. A lot of companies think, okay, the digital part, that's a hard one. And the human part, that's an easy one because we have humans in the organization. But I think that's a big uh, misunderstanding because it's not because you have humans in the organization that you're outperforming on the human skills of doing business. That's something else. I really, really think the human side of things, as you say, I, I think the scarcity that you mentioned there, the idea that it's so valuable to have that conversation, the impromptu conversation that you sometimes need to have just to solve a mm -hmm. problem quickly for someone. I think the value of that is already going up. I can feel that generally. You know, it's amazing. You get a call from Google. I got a call from Google a while ago and wow. I was just completely blown away. I've got... 
an account manager calling me from Google. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that made me feel special. It made me feel like they cared about my AdWords account, which, you know, mm -hmm. they don't have to do that. So I, I really get that point. I think it's fantastic. And just to kind of turn this on its head, then, if we, as small business people, as entrepreneurs, if we strive to build a business that is customer-focused and actually understands its customers' importance, what effect will that have on our business? What kind of customers will that create and what positives will we get from that as a business? Well, the, the sad news, in fact, is that being more customer-centric than others is still a big competitive advantage. In fact, it shouldn't be because if we all do it in a fantastic way, it's no longer a competitive advantage, but today <laughs> it still is. That's the bad news, but that's also the good news for companies who really care about people. And, you know, one of my favorite examples of small entrepreneurs that, that really understand that is a very local fish store that exists here in the town where I live in, in Belgium. And the, the, it's just an average fish store. You know, there, there's nothing digital about it. They don't, they don't even have a website. There are no digital screens in, in the store, but still they are extremely successful. And I think the reason is because they have something that sounds so obvious, but it's very rare. They, they have this sincere interest in their clients. They know all their customers' first names and last names. They, they're the kind of people who listen to what people are talking about in their store. And when they hear that someone did something cool or did something positive, they, they write this handwritten card, they put it in a little envelope, and that envelope will be waiting there sometimes for weeks until the customer comes back and then they tell them, okay, we've heard that you, that your son graduated from university. Congratulations. We wanted to give you a little card. Uh, they're the kind of people that know that I like to cook, that I'm an amateur chef. So they, they know when I'm coming to the, to the store that, you know, sometimes they have this new recipe ready or they're saying, uh, we've made some fresh fish bouillon. Would you like to have some, uh, for, for your dish? Uh, or do you, do you want us to add a lemon to your, uh, to your fish? You know, all these small things. Uh, my children, they're three and five. They love to go to that fish store because if they go, there, there's always something that happens. They show them a lobster or they show them a king crab or they always show them something. It's like going to a theme park for them going to that fish store. And because of that, you know, the strange thing is that that fish store is more expensive than any other store in the neighborhood. You have to wait longer in line than in any other store in the neighborhood, but everyone loves that store. Everyone keeps coming back because you have these owners that are truly good in those human capabilities. So the moment, and I think that's the good news for entrepreneurs who really believe this story. The good news is the moment that you're going a little bit above bar, people love you for that. And immediately you will have positive effects on your business. The word of mouth will increase. People will talk about you. And because of that, your business will grow. And I'm a, I'm a big fan and believer of the whole word of mouth principle. I think if, if you're good in customer centricity, word of mouth will boost your business and others will do the, the advertisement for you. And I still believe that that is the best form of advertising you can imagine as a company. And the really cool thing about everything that you've just said there is that there's no excuse not to do it. It doesn't cost anything. It's just about thoughtfulness and mindfulness and that. Exactly. It's amazing. It's amazing because I hear so many business people just say, well, listen, we don't have the time for this or we, you know, well, it's not necessarily for us. And it baffles me because how can it not be for any business just going above and beyond just 
a little extra. And as you say, it doesn't have to cost much. It's just the thoughtfulness. And I think it's that's a mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's putting the customers first without really thinking about it. And I think we can all, we can all get better at that. I think we can all certainly do a little bit more. And mm-hmm. Stephen, that just brings us to the actionable takeaway section of the show. So I know you've put okay. together three superb mm-hmm. actionable tips for people. Yeah. So if people want to get better at this, let's dig into actionable tip number one, sir. Okay, well, I think it's really worthwhile to invest in the real unique human skills, uh, empathy, creativity, and passion. Again, they sound so easy, but the, the coffee machine doesn't lie. Ask yourself what are the stories that we're sharing at the coffee machine. If someone did something amazing for a client, do we promote that or do we talk bad about that? You know, and the, Those kind of small things show the culture that you have in your company, but really investing in the true human skills can make an enormous difference in this digital world. I think that's fantastic. And and it's back to that focus on humanity as well and, and, and really allowing people, well, I'll turn that on its head a little bit. It's allowing the company that you're in to have a culture that puts the customers first. And And I know personally, I've always struggled with maintaining that because we're all busy and mm. so on and so forth. But True. I guess if you if you embed that culture, it kind of takes care of itself because the, the people working with you, they want to do the best for the customers. Can you can you actually create a culture successfully that almost manages itself with that? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The moment that and I think leadership plays a crucial role in that about half of the culture is being determined by leadership. And, and especially if leaders are listening, the, the one thing that you should ask yourself is how do people get a promotion in our company? How do they get a, rate, uh, a wage increase? Uh, because a lot of companies and, and CEOs are saying, okay, we want to have a, a, this culture of customer centricity, but at the same time, they only promote people who are good in short-term sales results. And I think that the, if you want to see if a, custom, if a company is customer-centric, check their... Uh, evaluation KPIs and the way that they promote and uh, congratulate people because that tells the real culture. And if you install a culture where you promote people based upon customer satisfaction, you can install some sort of self-managing culture like that. But the evaluation system is crucial in that. That's a really interesting point. Really interesting. And let's dig into actionable tip number two, please, sir. All right. Um, I think you need to install faster than real-time customer service. Um, if you look at the evolution that we're facing right now with the whole Internet of Everything and Internet of Things trend, in, in, in a little while, everything will be connected with the Internet. And that's the day that the Internet, as we know it, disappears. That's the end of the offline world. You know, If everything carries a sensor, Internet is present like oxygen on this planet. And at that moment, that creates an enormous amount of data that allows companies to be proactive in customer service, which means that customers don't complain anymore, but that means that companies detect a problem before a customer detects the problem and they solve it before the customer detects the problem. So fast will not be fast enough. Real time will not be fast enough. You will need to be faster than real time in the future. And you you have to install data to make that happen. That's really interesting. So the preempting and getting there and, and, and you know, getting there early before the customers notice something. Yeah. And that that's a, a sort of echoes a really interesting point that Pat Flynn made down at New Media Expo, which is kind of anticipating what your customers may want to buy as well, you know, and getting there in front of that. So I'm starting to see this real trend amongst the kind of thought leaders around 
just get there first, anticipate the problems that people have and then go ahead and solve them really quickly. And does that, this is, this may be a, a bit of a bit of a devil's advocate question, but does that have to be expensive? Is it quite an expensive thing to do? Um, no, I don't think so. I think again, it's a mindset, you know, the, the, the place in the world where this can already be implemented is probably every airport in the world. If there's one place where they know exactly how many people will arrive at which point it is an airport, they know everything up front. And still, sometimes we have to stand in line for quite a long time. That means that they don't care about us. And that means that it's like bad will to do it. I think there it's about reorganizing your resources that you make sure you have enough people when there's lots of passengers passing through. And at the same time, maybe at other points, you don't need that many people than that you have installed because no one's passing through. So it's a matter of, of reallocating your resources based upon the data that you have. Love that. That's fantastic. And let's dig into the third and final actionable tip, please, Stephen. Well, I, I like to use the sentence, uh, computers can personalize and people make it personal. Um, I think both are important. I think uh, in the end, we need to create personalized content for, for people. But I tend to say that that is the easy part. You can buy that, you can program that, you can outsource that. Um, doesn't mean it's not important, but in the end, you should be able to create that. But making it personal is the hard part. And I think um, the company should create a program to discuss their human transformation. I think the consequence of the digital transformation is the human transformation. If everything becomes automated, it means that the role of humans in companies will change. doesn't mean that it becomes obsolete. It just means that we have to find a way to, to invest that time to create a new value for customers. If you think about sentences like computers personalize, people make it personal, or computers predict and people can surprise, or computers, they deliver and people over-deliver, computers confirm and people can smile. You know, those kind of sentences show the difference between digital and, and the human side of business. And I think an actional point is to define your human strategy as a company next to that digital one. because And they're not fighting with each other, I think. Digital and human are reinforcing each other. They both have different strengths. Digital is about automation. It's about data. It's about predictability. Uh, uh, making things more efficient. And sometimes as a customer, I want that, just the fast and easy process. But at another moment, me as the same customer in the same company, I want the more human side of business. I want to feel the emotion, the empathy, the passion, the creativity. Uh, but a lot of companies don't have that human transformational side. So creating that human strategy is as important as the digital uh, strategy, if you ask me. That's really important, actually, when you think about it, allowing the benefits of digital and the benefits of humanity, allowing those to coalesce and, and force your business into a, a much better place from, from the perspective of a customer. That that seems really powerful, actually. And I, I yeah, guess exactly. People yeah. just probably won't think of that naturally. So I think that's a really, really great tip there, Stephen. Thank you so much for that. And You're welcome. Just before we wrap up, sir, I'd like mm -hmm. to, first of all, thank you for doing the episode. It's been a real pleasure, and I think there's a heck of a lot of value in there for people listening. And I'd also just like to ask, where can people connect with you online? Well, uh, Mark, it was a pleasure of being here. I, I enjoyed the conversation, and I hope your listeners will, will enjoy our talk. And uh, people are very welcome to connect with me. I'm uh, almost on every social network. On Twitter, I'm at StephenVBE. On uh, my website is stephenvanbellegem.com. On uh, YouTube, I'm uh, youtube.com slash my name, stephenvanbellegem.com. On SlideShare, it's slideshare.net slash 
my name and people can be connect or can connect with me on, on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, just type in my name and you will find me. Super stuff. Stephen, thank you once again, sir. It's been, it genuinely has been a real pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Mark. Thanks a lot. Superb. And guys, for you listening out there, don't forget that everything that Stephen has mentioned, all the links to everything that we've spoken about will be available in the show notes at excellent-expected.com, where as ever, you can pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. So until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.